Pastor Xavier Reese explains the simple truths of sowing and reaping. They were sowing among sin. So what they get for a crop? Sin. Listen, where are you sowing? Where are you going? What are you reading? What are you hearing? What are you going out of your way to catch? That's what you're going to bring home. Make no mistake of that. Sow for yourselves righteousness, Hosea 10, 12. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The laws of sowing and reaping represent a very predictable and accepted cause and effect. Sow wheat, and you'll reap wheat. Sow grapevines, you'll reap grapes, and so on. Well, when it comes to the issue of repentance, Pastor Xavier explains how sincere transformation is not the result of cultivating religious and worldly practices, but rather rooted in the spiritual, which includes sowing the things of God that yield righteousness. Let's pick up today's Simple Truth study now in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3. Yahweh's message of repentance here to Judah has three elements that are necessary for true repentance to take place. And these must exist in every relationship that's out of sync and out of kilter. And they're so vital to ourselves because the Lord is the one who lays it out for us. Let me give them to you here. First is the confrontation of truth and love, verses 6 through 13. The confrontation of truth and love. Secondly, the expectation of hope through love. And that's in verse 14 through 22. And thirdly, the communication of faith by love. 22 all the way to verse 4. In verse 6, Yahweh tells Jeremiah the prophet to observe Israel's harlotry. They had turned their back upon God, the marriage relationship, and they had played a harlot. And these terms are repeated over and over again. The fact that they played the harlot, the fact that they were backslidden, the fact that they had been treacherous and unfaithful, and it speaks over and over and over again. An ongoing rebellion. And so she was marked as treacherous. Judah, her treacherous sister, was a witness to Israel's rebellion. She did not fear, it says. Verse 8. So she played the harlot also. She imitated her. Look at verse 12. God invites Israel to repent. The prophet Jeremiah is told to go to the north and proclaim return backslide in Israel as the proclamation of his, listen, steadfast love. God is so faithful, he pursues. Now Yahweh would not cause his anger to fall, it says. Literally, cause my face to fall. Why? Because he is merciful and his anger would not be forever if repentance took place. There's a condition. Notice, secondly, verse 14 through 22 in the middle. The expectation of hope through love is next. In verses 14 through 18, first of all, the passionate plea of Yahweh to Judah was that she might repent. So he stays on track. There is a play on words here. Turn you, turn away once. <laughs> they turned their back on God. The right of God to the people is based on what? Look at the marriage covenant. For I am your husband, literally your Baal, which literally means Lord or Master. The context in this section is future. When Yahweh will take 
from one city, as it says here, the remnant, two from a family, and bring them to Zion. Often, you know, in the scriptures, there's short-term fulfillment, long-term fulfillment. And sometimes the prophets don't make a distinction. They just go right in even though what they're dealing with. This is one of these areas. But the ultimate fulfillment here is there is a very short-term fulfillment. And it doesn't even the specific. But the ultimate is the kingdom age. Because we'll see that the content and the context doesn't allow it to be fulfilled any other time apart from that. Look at verse 16. The prophecy will be fulfilled in the kingdom age. When they are multiplied and increased... In the land, says the Lord. That hasn't happened yet, okay? Only partially. The specific time is declared to be in those days. A phrase that is used for the kingdom age. In those days. You see, Yahweh's love for Judah desired to bless her. And give her the promised inheritance. But his heart is grieved. Why? Because she is living in an unfaithful state in disobedience. He cannot reward her. Yahweh's hope for them was to treat them as sons and daughters. But they only call Yahweh Father in name while denying Him in lifestyle. Listen, there are a lot of people in the church today who come to church. But they're living for the devil. And somehow they have deceived themselves thinking, Well, you know, I go to church, I go to good church, and you know, we read the word. And it doesn't. But if you're living for the devil, if you're not being obedient, if you're like Judah here, well, to you, there's greater judgment for you. Look at verse 21. The words of Israel's avowed repentance are stated. Notice that, avowed. This is a dialogue between God and Judah for the next nine verses. Verse 21 all the way to verse 4. It's a dialogue. Follow it closely. Israel's weeping and supplications were heard in the desolate heights of her idolatry in lamentation. Kings records this. Oh, yes, they were hearing the word from the Lord. Oh, you know, and it seemed like, oh, the tears, oh, they're genuine, but they weren't. In Mexico, when someone is crying and they're not real, they call them uh, crocodile tears. They're fake. And there's a lot of fake tears. Remember Malachi? Tells the man, he says, Oh, what are you doing on my altar? You're crying these tears. And they're phony, you know. You're being unfaithful to the wife of your youth. You're putting them away. I don't honor you. Now notice the reason is twofold. She had perverted her way. She had forgotten the Lord, her God. The two most intimate metaphors are used constantly here. That of children and that of marriage. The closest bonds. Notice in verse 22, the first portion there, the response of God to the nation is focused on her what? Consistent repentance. Repentance, that's what you're looking for. Yahweh called out for her to turn. To return. The same often repeated phrase that we find throughout the second sermon. And there's a play on words. The same root. Turn. Return. The reason is due to the fact that they, listen, were backslidden. They were backslidden. Another repeated phrase to identify the condition of the nation. Turn. You turn away once. You cannot say you belong to God and you're walking hand in hand with sin. You see, the hope of Yahweh was that the nation might repent and be one with his love for her. And thereby, Yahweh would heal, notice their backslidings. How? 
By the repentance. As they repent, God heals their backsliding. But if you don't repent, guess what? You continue your backsliding condition. The act of pleading passionately with someone to turn them from their sin is always proclaiming the person's willingness to be reconciled and to continue in that relationship and to cause it to flourish. The very fact that we're confronting in love is that we're giving that hope that we want to be reconciled. For if we didn't, we wouldn't confront. Listen to Colossians three twelve through 14 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, let me read that again, even as Christ forgave you in proportion, whoa, I am a debtor. So you must, not should, so you also must do, but above all these things, put on agape love, which is the bond of perfection, the belt that holds everything together. Everything that's fallen apart can be put together by God's agape love. No other way. No other way. Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. If there's godly repentance, you're glad you repented. You don't regret that you repented. But if your, your, your seeming repentance is only a regret of getting busted then you're probably going to do it again. Listen to Proverbs 29.1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That is a scary scripture. If God is dealing with your heart, if you've been confronted by your wife, your husband, or other people, and you keep hardening your heart, it says that destruction comes and that without remedy suddenly. Love does not keep a ledger, but it does hold a person accountable. No ledger, but I hold you accountable. Listen to Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. You confront with truth. You're seeking repentance. You're offering an expected hope. So repentance takes place by the expectation of hope through love. Because it, love is what carries you through this. It's difficult. Notice thirdly, the communication of faith by love. In the last half of verse 22 to verse 4 of chapter 4. The seeming confession and repentance of the people is quoted. God quotes their words. So we know they're accurate. Their words are, indeed we do come to you, implying that they were turning from their sin. Their basis is in the confession of their special relationship to Yahweh. For you are the Lord our God. They acknowledge the vanity in seeking salvation in the cult worship. Notice of the hills and the mountains. They acknowledge the shame that consumed them. But it's vain. It's not sincere. Right words. But not sincere. So notice secondly... The promise and prescription for true repentance is given by God. Because he knows their words that they're false. So look what he does. Verse 1. The conversion must be true and complete. If Israel was to return to Yahweh, then the nation would have to manifest a complete turning from the evil and obedience to God's word. Oh. You cannot be walking with evil 
and walking with God. In Him is no darkness at all. And if we say we walk with Him, we walk in dark, we lie and don't have the truth, First John tells us. The Hebrew reveals a play on words here. In turning, you must turn completely about face. You see, God could see the insincerity of their heart. He's not taken in like we are. He alone knows the heart. Then he says, if Israel put away her abominations out of Yahweh's sight, then they would not waver in their faith, but be steadfast and not be moved into captivity. So these are the conditions. God lays them out. God will honor his word. But they were playing games. And so in verse 2, their conversion is to be under the oath of allegiance. And God goes even that step. Okay, you do it in my name. You're taking an oath. It's not something that's, that's flippantly done. It's a serious business. We're talking about marriage. Look at verse 2 there. To take an oath, bound a person to Yahweh. Numbers 30 speaks about vows. It was in God's name. You had to fulfill it. Otherwise, you have to pay back 20% depending on what it was. And, and there's the different conditions there. To use God's name in an oath is a serious matter. Acknowledging living God as it says right here. And so it was done to be done in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. Not flippantly. Not half-heartedly. Not just without intending to fulfill that. Too many people make altar calls. Too many people say a lot of things, but the rubber does not meet the road. And that's the tragic rule today in the church, people. And you need to understand that. You see, God wanted to bless the Gentiles through Israel all along. So therefore, He says, if they were walking with Him, if they did turn, then the nations would be blessed by God through them. This goes back to Genesis 12.3 and Genesis 22.18. And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Israel had gotten very self-righteous and they didn't reach out the way they should have. And they brought very few people into the kingdom. They were supposed to be God's instrument to bring people to Yahweh. But they became self-righteous. Elitism, the chosen frozen. God says, you walk with me. You're going to affect the world around you. How interesting. Look at verse 3. Their conversion had to be spiritual, not religious. The council is directed to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. The council is that they break up their fallow ground and not sow among thorns. In other words, this is real picturesque. It's a farming metaphor. Their lives had become hard to God. And the things of God and the pagan influence had become thorns in their lives, impeding the spiritual growth and development. They were sowing among sin. So what did they get for a crop? Sin. The metaphor is a farming metaphor. The farmer first has to break up that hard ground. Because the seed can't penetrate. So he breaks it up so the seed goes down and it's water. And it receives and it begins to grow. And so Judah had to break up that fallow ground. So the word of God could go in and they could develop spiritually. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness, Hosea 10, 12. Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness on you. Their practice of life was to be different now. Sowing on the good ground of God among Him, not the pagan 
deities. Listen, where are you sowing? Where are you going? What are you reading? What are you hearing? What are you going out of your way to catch? That's what you're going to bring home. Make no mistake of that. Look at verse 4. Their conversion had to accompany holiness. The counsel was to circumcise themselves of the Lord. Circumcision represents the cutting away of the flesh life. That which opposes God. The uncleanness. The right was given to Abraham in Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And it was given to him the chapter after he had Ishmael. He tried to help out God. 13 years between those two chapters. It was a cutting away of the flesh life that God is the one that has to fulfill it. And you cannot fulfill God's will or please God by the energies and the products of your flesh. Because flesh brings sin. The men of Judah and the inheritance of Jerusalem were to take away the foreskin, listen, of their hearts. Circumcision of the heart speaks of the whole heart committed to God without rivals. This had always been the principle in Deuteronomy 10.16. It says, circumcise your heart. But see, they got caught up with the ritual. They said, well, we got the ritual. I'm circumcised, so I'm a, I'm a, I belong to God's family. Well, Paul, the apostle speaks about it in Rome. He says, you can be circumcised, but if your heart's not circumcised, your circumcision physically is, is looked upon as uncircumcision. Oh, but I've been baptized, so what? Oh, but I went to this church 10 years, so what? The question is, are you going to heaven? Are you walking with God? True, genuine, inward transformation in contrast to our religious ceremony. In fact, Judah is ranked among the heathens later on, and she is called uncircumcised in heart in Jeremiah 9, 25 and 26. Amos does the same thing. Why? Because they were living like the Gentiles. Repentance is far from more than merely turning from evil. It is turning to God in order to manifest the new life of God. So you turn away from sin and you turn to God. Those two things must happen. Notice the alternative. It was that Yahweh's fury would come like an unquenchable fire due to the evil they were doing. God is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah taught us that. Jeremiah is going to speak about it again in Isaiah 50, 29 and 51, 5. The Holy One of Israel. Yahweh cannot look upon sin with condonance or permission. Habakkuk 2, 4. Yahweh will judge all, listen, by His holiness. Amos 4, 2 says. That's the standard. So you have to be absolutely perfect or you have to be in Jesus Christ, one of the two. Because that's the only way it can be. You remember when uh, Peter had professed his love for God and for the Lord and how he would never betray him. And one day the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. And he, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus communicated the way of faith and love to Peter. He took the way. The scriptural way to do it. Because when we're talking about faith, we speak about biblical procedures, biblical scripture. If my faith is biblical, it has to be related to the scriptures. I can't handle it any other way. I can't please God any other way. A person's confession of their sin must be taken in faith. For not one of us in this room can know the heart of a man or a woman. So when someone says they have repented, I take it in faith. And I take it in faith positively. I don't go, really? 
I say, praise God. And I take it by faith. Some individuals speak deceitfully and pretentiously. Others speak truthfully and faithfully. So time must be allowed to run. Because time is the test of all things. And time will prove whether you are saved or self-deceived. Whether you have been quickened or just, just a quacking duck. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.24, Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. We don't know. It's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. The heart of men and women can become hard and pliable depending if the individual is willing to break up that, that follow ground that hasn't been plowed. God is here to have you turn that soil so the seed can fall in. Listen, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. Nothing wrong with the sun. It depends what kind of material you're made of. If your heart is hard, you get harder. If you're willing to be broken, then God can turn you. The parable of the sower reveals the four soils. You know that. The hard ground, the bird just snatches the seed. That superficial soil, then the tares and the cares of the world, and then the good ground. It speaks about the heart. Things that tug us. Oh, it's not a problem. I can handle it. Okay. We're all responsible for our salvation, aren't we? James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, I received a lot of mercy. I want to be as merciful as I can. But I don't want to offer cheap grace. I don't want to offer sloppy agape. I'm not after heads. I'm after repentance. True repentance comes when the heart is circumcised to live in holiness. The circumcision, again, Paul the Apostle in chapter 2, verse 25 through 29 of Romans speaks about the difference of the circumcision of the heart and physical circumcision. And it makes no difference in that in terms of the Gentile. We are the circumcision not made with hands, Philippians 3, verse 2 and 3, uh, that of Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 14 speaks of the circumcision that's been in Christ. Uh, he has circumcised our heart. He has changed our life. Uh, circumcision brings about a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. But it's a choice, right? Listen to the prophet speaking to King Asa. 2 Chronicles 15, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, or Azariah the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa, King Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Awesome scripture. Repentance takes place by the communication of faith by love. I point you to the scriptures to do it biblically. And so the repentance that takes place, if it has true potential, if it's going to take place, it must have these three elements necessary. The confrontation of truth and love. The expectation of hope through love. And the communication of faith by love. This will yield repentance. If we exercise our will to turn.
Master Xavier Reese, highlighting three important elements needed for yielding genuine repentance, drawn from the second sermon of Jeremiah from chapters 3 and 4. And just before we sign off for the day, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled God's Broken Heart of Love are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Once again, you'll be asking for the title, God's Broken Heart of Love. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 